It is good to be back again. It was a, a, a fitting and honoring service for our dear Uncle Jose. Um, it was just neat. As I spoke to people, they were always talking about him and how he was bold for the gospel. Uh, thank you so much for your prayers. Uh, we were exhausted when we got there, but uh, God helped me to preach. He strengthened me, and I really thank you for praying for us um, to be able to be there and uh, just continue to pray for um, the Enriquez and the Alfaro families as they heal. Uh, they're going to miss dad, but he is in heaven with Christ. It was a totally different funeral, distinctly Christian, filled with hope, and uh, always talking about stories about Uncle Jose on the street corner, preaching at Walmart and a DMV and at the ferry terminal. We just, we just all shared different stories how right there in San Francisco Bay Area, he would go right down in Market Street and just start preaching the gospel. And we loved him. He was captivated by Christ. He never got over what Christ did for him. And neither should we. Amen? Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. We are typically in the book of Hebrews when, um, when we preach for communion. But, of course, I did not finish my sermon last Sunday. So I'm here to finish it. I think we only launched and got into our introduction but we are going to go through Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And I'm going to read that just to reacquaint us and to get us back into it. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has, more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant. For testimony of those things which were to be spoken later, but Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful to come and to hear your word. We pray that Christ would be exalted. Father, I pray you would encourage the saint. And Father, I pray that the claims of Christ and who he is and how he's demonstrated to be, who he has demonstrated himself to be, will be considered, pondered, thought about. Thought about. And that those who do not know him would come to know him. We pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There, I, I got to witness a beautiful thing. Um, I got to witness when, uh, when Jeremy was um, teaching at a home fellowship group in Vallejo. And there was a brother there who struggled with his salvation. He didn't, he 
uh, grew up with a false doctrine that he could lose his salvation. And so he believed in Christ, trusted in Christ, articulated the gospel. But as he was trusting in Christ, every time he sinned, he felt bad and he thought he lost his salvation. And uh, he had very, very strong feelings about this. And, and Jeremy walked him through our assurance of faith in Christ because of the finished work of uh, finished work that Christ has done on the cross. But it was an amazing thing to see this guy who was always fearful and scared because he sinned and he would lose his salvation, he thought in his mind, lose his assurance, and we would have to bring him back to grace. You're not only, brothers and sisters, let me tell you this morning, you're not only saved by, by grace, you live by grace. We got to live by grace. You see, sometimes man... Apart from the revelation of God, of the Son, and, and His preeminence, man starts to cling to old beliefs of tradition and works-based religion. I blew it, you start to think. Maybe in your mind, you know you are saved by grace, but you don't live by it. You think, God, oh, I sinned, now God's not going to use me. I know God saved me by His grace, but be, I, I think i got to earn my way. Or maybe you might not say it consciously, but... In your heart, you feel like, I can't serve him because I didn't have my quiet time. He doesn't love me because I didn't have my quiet time. Or I sinned so bad, why would he take me back? Brothers and sisters, there is a Christ who is our high priest, whose sacrifice is himself for you and for me. Christ is a over and above all other persons and viewpoints, perspectives and opinions and belief systems. Only he has the authority on spiritual truth, which is evidenced by his work and his person. And we remember from the text, this is a review, that God gave this passage to you so that you would look to Jesus above any other person or any other belief system. And by review, we want to talk about how the whole text is governed by this phrase, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus in verse 1. We remember that the word there to consider means to notice, to observe, to look at, to contemplate, to think about very carefully. That as Christians, we are to look upon Christ. We are to look upon Him over and above any other thoughts. Over and above any other religion. Over and, over and above any, even our feelings. We are to look at Christ. We understand that in order for us to consider Jesus, we ought to Satisfy your heart in sweet communion. We remember in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Satisfy your heart in sweet communion. Be happy in Jesus. Dwell with Jesus. Don't leave until you, your heart is warmed with Jesus and the truth therein. We understand that as you consider Jesus, you are to release your allegiance to prior beliefs. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9 says, Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. Thirdly, we remember that in order to consider Jesus, you are to humble your attitude to a teachable mind. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. 
to consider Jesus. You are to bridle your own spirit to an obedient life. Hebrews chapter 5 says, For everyone partakes only of milk, is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. To consider Jesus, you are to discipline your days for vital growth. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 says to throw off every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. To consider Jesus, we are to commit your life to vibrant believers. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. All in Hebrews. All the texts are in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says, Let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised us is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together. God is calling you, Christian, to consider Christ. Now, we've talked about how you are to consider Jesus, but now we move on to why. Why should you look to Jesus above any other person or any other belief system? The writer of Hebrews, by the Holy Spirit, lists four superiorities of Jesus which merit your consideration. To order all your thoughts, your desires, your emotions to be subservient to Him. And the first superiority of Christ that we're going to talk about is number one. Jesus was commissioned to a superior mission. Jesus was commissioned to a superior mission. Now, typically you would see in the scriptures... Jesus was with the apostles. You don't really see this word apostle applied to, the, applied to Christ. In fact, this is the only time this word apostle in its noun form is applied to Christ. Therefore, holy brethren, verse 1, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle. The writer of Hebrews calls Jesus an apostle. It's quite interesting. You see him with the apostles, Peter, John, Matthew, or you would see someone, an apostle of Jesus, Paul, in uh, 2 Timothy 1 and in many other verses, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. But generally speaking, the word apostle means delegate, envoy, messenger, sent out one. He uses this term to explain to give a fuller meaning of who Jesus is. Jesus was one with a mission. He didn't come just to simply be an example. He didn't come to simply just show a good way of life. He came with a specific mission in mind, and that is to save sinners. He was the ultimate sent one, the ultimate missionary. While the apostles were sent, and Moses, the important figurehead of Judaism, was sent as well, Jesus remains the greatest sent one from God. That's why we celebrate Christmas. His apostleship in this term remains over and above that of the apostles, that of the prophets, and over that of Moses himself. It shows his power over death and it exhibits his worthiness of belief. In John chapter 11, verse 42, if you recall, uh, let me read that for you. He says, if you remember, Lazarus was put in the grave, and Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. 
He says, and I knew that thou hearest me always. This is Jesus praying to the Father. I know you hear me all the time. Every time I pray, I know you hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it that they may believe that you did send me. I am praying and I'm going to do a miracle so that they believe that I was sent by you. And Jesus, and he who had died, and when he says Lazarus come forth, he who had died had come forth. In fact, in 1 Timothy 1.15 it says, if you want to write that down, it says, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was his mission. Among whom I am foremost of all. Now, where was he sent from? If we just briefly look at that word and just start going and continue on into the text, we're going to miss the full implication and the full meaning of what the text is saying. Where was he sent from? Well, I believe in John chapter 17, this is the greatest text of God sending the Son. God the Father sending the Son. He doesn't use the term apostle in the noun form, but he does use it in the verb form. So let's look at John chapter 17 to help us understand what it means that Jesus was sent from the Father. This is called the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. And you're going to notice he sent me for this. He sent me for this. He sent me for this. You are going to notice as you look in this, you should see the love of the Savior for yourself. You should see the love of the Savior for his people. You should see the love of the Savior for the church. Notice he says, These things, Father, the hour has come, Jesus is speaking. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh. And to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Now, look at verse 3. Eternal life is not primarily life that just lasts long. You know, sometimes we think that, oh, he has eternal life. That means he's going to last forever and ever and ever and ever. That's only part of it, brothers and sisters. That is a good part, but it's not the best part. The best part is that you're reconciled and you know God. Notice it says here, it is a quality of life, verse 3. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God. That's what eternal life is. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, verse 4, he says, I glorified thee on the earth, here it is, having accomplished the work which you have given for me to do. Jesus is the ultimate missionary. He knows he is going to the cross, and it's all going to be paid for. And so he, he is our great, greatest apostle. Notice the missionary language. I have to do this. I have to accomplish this. He was not some lad sent from home to the store to pick up bread. Jesus is God. He is the second person of the Trinity sent on a mission to bring glory to the Father by giving eternal life and making it possible by the work, His life, suffering, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, be accomplished. 
part of it, of what it means to believe in Christ is that he was sent. He didn't come into existence at birth. What we celebrate at Christmas. He didn't start existing at that time. He came, he pre-existed that event. He put on flesh. And he came. Notice he says in John chapter 17 verse 7. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from thee. For the words which you gave me I have given to them and they received me. And truly understood what, that I came forth from thee. And that you believe that thou didst send me. Notice he was sent to send others as well. Look at John chapter 17 verse 18. All captured in this word apostle chapter 17 Verse 18, he says, As thou didst send me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Jesus was also sent to create Christian unity. Notice he says in John 17, verse 23, he says, verse 22, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. Verse 23, I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know, what? That you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. He was sent to place a supernatural love in believers for him and for each other. Notice John 17 verse 24. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am in order that they may behold my glory which you have given me for you did love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, known thee, yet I have known thee, and these have known that thou didst send me, I have made thy name known to them, and will make it known that the love whereth that thou didst love me may be in them, and I in them. Notice, he says, these have known that thou didst send me. By what? This new love that Christians exhibit. This new love that these new Christians experience. We see that as he is the trustworthy, in the trustworthy statement as we saw in 1 Timothy. But in summation, in summation, though the audience of the book of Hebrews may have been looking back to the former glory of Moses' mission, they know that they should be captivated by the sinless, preexistent, eternal one, Jesus, who came resolutely for his people. I thought it was interesting when we were in Vallejo. Um, we saw a lot of old friends. There was a, a bunch of us who kind of got saved in high school and we grew and we served the Lord together. We were all discipled and we all grew in the Lord together. But I thought it was quite interesting that people came from all over. We had folks fly in from Hawaii to come to the memorial. They came from far places to give their condolences. It was a blessed thing. Love was demonstrated by showing up. Do you understand? Wasn't it? Love is demonstrated by showing up. Some flew from Hawaii to show love. They traveled the distance to show love. And you know what? I asked them, man, you traveled so far. They thought nothing of it. Correct? Because they loved Marlo and Andre, Uncle Jose, and 
um, Leigh and Eugene. They loved them. They thought nothing of it. Let me, let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. Christ traveled much farther than Hawaii, okay? He went on a mission. He set his, he set his face like flint. He spanned the farthest distance of space and status to demonstrate perfect love to sinners. In other words, he came from glory, dear Christian, for you. This is why Christmas is so significant. This is why you should not have a bah humbug attitude. He came for you and for me. Not only should you fixate yourself and consider Jesus because he was commissioned to a superior mission, you should also consider Jesus because he accomplished a superior reconciliation. That is, he has caused enemies to become friends. You and me, because of this holy priest, this high priest, he has caused us to be reconciled with God the Father. Notice, um, he says in chapter, go back to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle, a superior mission, and high priest of our confession, a superior reconciliation. A superior reconciliation. What is the high priest? When we look at this, sometimes we, we get confused. We don't understand what this is. The high priest was an extremely prominent figure in Judaism. There were a tribe of priests, the Levites, in Israelite history, who were to be the go-betweens, the mediators between God and man. The high priest was the appointed man who would, once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, he would offer the highest sacrifice. The high priest was the only one who could enter into the Holy of Holies, the sacred compartment, and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. This was a picture of atonement for the people. He was, in fact, under the old covenant, the mediator between God and man. The high priest was the person to be the mediator, the go-between between God and man. God is so holy that man could not come to him on his own. He needed someone to go in between. And so there was a high priest. Since the high priest was a sinner himself, he had to make a personal sacrifice personal blood sacrifice for his own sin first before he could even offer a sacrifice for the people. The high priest was the only one who could enter into the Holy of Holies, but only for a short time. Before the high priest went to the Holy of Holies, he had to pass through three different portions of the tabernacle in the wilderness or the temple. Taking the blood, he was able to pass through the veil and go into the Holy of Holies. And he had to make the sacrifice right away. He couldn't loiter. He couldn't stay there. He couldn't delay. He had to make the sacrifice right away and then leave. Every year, this had to be done. Thousands of sacrifices. They said that the brook Kidron was so filled with blood over the thousands of sacrifices that, that the river was running with blood. 
and that even Jesus, as he was crossing from uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane over the brook Kidron, when he crossed over, the, the perfect Lamb of God saw the blood of lambs flowing through this brook because it was so much blood going through. But the high priest had to do this every year. It was always continual because the people kept sinning. And the sacrifices were not complete. Not perfect. That is, not until the perfect high priest came with the perfect sacrifice. As our perfect high priest, he did not go through portions of a tabernacle or a temple, but he went back through heaven itself. Not to a man-made holy of holies, but in the direct presence of God to make sacrifice. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. And verse 4. Oh, excuse me. Verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, watch this, who has passed through the heavens. Now they're using the same imagery, but now this is Jesus. He is not in a man-made place. He's not in a man-made tabernacle. He's not in a man-made temple. Notice, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all these things. This high priest is not merely a shadow. That's what the high priest was supposed to be. Our high priest, Jesus Christ, didn't pass through curtains that were man-made. He didn't pass through rooms in a temple that were man-made. He passed through heaven itself to plead your case before God the Father. He went in directly into his presence and said, I have paid for that one. That is mine. He will not face wrath. He will not face judgment. That person, that Christian who sets their faith on Christ will not face judgment because Christ has been your high priest. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 9. Over. This is a theme in Hebrews. Fantastic. I don't have to pay for my sins. Do you understand what the implications are? That if this is true, if the high priest did pay for me, I don't have to cower in guilt anymore. I don't have to think whether or not I have a right relationship with God anymore. It's been paid. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 7 through 15. Now when these things, verse 6, have been so prepared, the priests were continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But into the second, only the high priest. Now the high priest is going into these compartments, right? Here he's talking about the shadow. This is the ceremony that was happening. Do you understand what I mean by shadow and substance? The shadow is simply... Here's my hand, and as, here's the light. And if I put my hand right here, you can see my shadow on the floor. The shadow only gives the caricature or the, the, the silhouette of my hand. My hand is the substance. This is the real deal. The shadow is simply points to what the real substance is. 
All of the Old Testament sacrifices, the high priest, the holy of holies, they are a shadow of Christ. But what happens is what man always does is he takes the shadows and he worships them. He doesn't look to the Christ that it's supposed to point to. Now you notice he says here in Hebrews chapter 9 verses 7 to 15, but into the second only the high priest, this is the human, only human high priest, Jewish Levitical high priest, enters once a year not without taking blood. He has to offer for himself for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. Verse 8, the Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed, while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a, a symbol for the present time. According, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. You see, you can't, as the blood was being spilt, they are still not perfect in conscience. Their conscience is still causing them to think of their guilt because it's not a perfect sacrifice. Because it doesn't completely clean. Nothing can. Religion can't. That's why the person sits there. And brothers and sisters, folks, if you have friends who do not know the Lord, and they are, sometimes you can talk to them and they even get to this place where they know they are guilty before God. And you can tell them there's a place where your conscience can be cleansed. And notice he says here, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation, all they look at is the outward, the ceremony. This is what, this is what man loves to have. He wants the ceremony over the Christ. He wants the shadow over the substance. Notice he says in verse 11, but... Here's the pivot, verse 11. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Well, what is that? It was not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through what? His own blood. Hallelujah. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the faith, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You want to go to bed and not have your sins haunt you? The foul things you have thought. The foul things you have said to people. The relationships you have broken. The anger that you have expressed. The bitterness. The envy. The preoccupation. The prejudgment of people. The thievery you've committed. The adultery you've committed. In your mind. In your heart. In actuality. You want to go to bed with a clean conscience. You go to the high priest. Jesus Christ, who offered his pure blood in your stead. Verse 19 of chapter 9, look, it says here, For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book. And, and verse 20, this is the blood of the covenant. Verse 21, 
In the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry of the blood. And then he moves on. They're copies of the things in heaven, verse 23, to be cleansed with. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is his own. Verse 26, otherwise he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. 27, inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment, so Christ also having been offered once, offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin. Brothers and sisters, he has paid for you and for me. Look at verse 10 of chapter 10. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He is the only high priest who perfectly paid the wrath you deserve. It is finished. God created man. Man in his rebellion sinned against him, creating a vast gulf that could never be crossed. Jesus Christ came down, put on flesh, became our high priest, our go-between, so that man, sinner, and God the Father can understand each other. We can't recon be reconciled apart from this Christ. Christ came down and died on the cross for our sins. If you would but trust him, oh young people, if you would but trust him, he will save you and change your life forever. If you are a Christian today, revel in this. If you're not, are you still trying to earn it? By being good? Your good is not good enough. You need blood. You need perfect blood. It must be spilt. If you don't think it's that serious, notice how much God's how much God put his work into this. How much he even cared about sin that he would send his only son to die for it. Consider Jesus because he came the farthest distance for you. Because he was commissioned on the superior mission. Consider Jesus because he has provided a perfect standing for God for you. Thereby accomplishing a superior reconciliation. Consider Jesus because he occupies a superior role. He occupied a superior role. Look at verses 2 to 4 of Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. He says, Moses, chapter 3, verse, chapter, uh, verse 2. He was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was in all his house, for he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. It says Moses, he was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses. A superior, he had more superior role, Christ had a superior role than Moses. Moses was the highest figurehead of Judaism. He was a symbol of the whole of Judaism as a system itself. Moses, for the most part, was faithful as the leader of the house of the Israelites. Notice he says, 
he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses prior to that verse 2. He was faithful to him who appointed him. He was faithful for the most part. He received the law. He led the people. He ruled well. But he was a sinner. And he failed. And he struck the rock instead of speaking to it in faith so that the water would flow. He did not get to, he did not get to go into the promised land. He was an imperfect leader, an imperfect um, shepherd. But Jesus was the perfect leader who not only led, but he built the house. The word there for house is not simply uh, a building or an edifice. The house there is the people. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of good households, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. First Peter chapter 2 says, And coming to him as a living stone rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the superior one. Notice he says here, he was faithful to him, but notice he says, verse 3, for he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just as much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. You know, oftentimes we, we look, we need to look to Christ as the faithful steward. Let Christ be your perfect example of how to shepherd your areas of ministry. He is perfectly faithful. He is a perfect steward. If you have a serving gift or a teaching gift, flex your spiritual muscle by the power of Christ. It is a sacred trust that Christ is. If in his faithfulness, you will see him as an example. He, he, it is a sacred trust that God has given you. Can he trust you with what you have? Your giftedness that he has given you. And sadly, many Christians don't get to be used to the fullest potential because they have not given themselves to the faithfulness in serving him. But consider Jesus because Jesus was commissioned to a superior mission. He was the perfect apostle. Jesus was accomplished a superior reconciliation. He is the perfect high priest. Jesus occupied a superior role. He is the perfect and faithful builder. And lastly, Jesus shepherded with a superior steadfastness. Notice in verses 5 to 6. This is why you ought to give your life to Christ. Over and over and over again. God gives us so many reasons. And he says here. Verses 5 and 6 of chapter 3. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant. For a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son. Over his house whose house we are. If we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. What's interesting is he says, now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant. Moses was a steward of the house. And here's a picture. Moses led the house. Gave the law to the house. And he calls him a servant What's interesting is the word there for servant isn't the same word that is typically used. Usually it's doulos or diakonia, where it's, has a, a, it's a term of lowliness, almost like table waiter. Sometimes doulos is better translated as a, as a slave. And here, God uses a more dignified term for Moses, uh, thereupon, to show that he was a trusted servant. 
who serves freely, a helper, an attendant, a minister. It was reserved for those who served with dignity. It was an upper class of servants. It was maybe the head waiter. Maybe he was the head butler. Or maybe he was the head chef, we would say. But nonetheless, he was a servant. Look at the difference. Chapter 3. Verse 5. Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful. Look at it. Look what it says in verse 6. Not as a servant. What does it say? As a son over his house. Whose house we are. We, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Servants come and go. Workers come and go. Son is for life. Is that right? He does not lead like a servant, like a hired hand. He leads like the son of the house. Moses was just a shadow, a real, of a real, he was a real person, but he was a shadow of the perfect son who always and faithfully led his house as a son to his father. This is why he says in John chapter 8, 29, no one can say this except Christ. He says, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. This is what Jesus says. Just listen to these words. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Did you hear that? He is the perfect son who has never sinned against the Father. And he says, I always do that which is pleasing to him. What's astounding, and what we should never get over the fact is, if we are linked to Christ by faith, we are inextricably linked. We cannot be ripped apart. And by faith, because of the perfect work that Christ has done through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, we are connected to him so that this it's astounding. When God the Father looks at you, it is an absolutely perfect standing such that, not that Jason has done every single thing that the Father has called him, but that Christ has done it. So when God the Father looks at Jason, he doesn't look at the best Jason he is. He looks at the very righteousness of Christ himself. Not like he is in Christ. He is in Christ. Not like he has, oh, Jason kind of has the righteousness of Christ. No, he has the exact per perfect righteousness of Christ. Such that it can be said that in Christ, he is perfectly obeying the will of God the Father in Christ. That is astounding. Because every day I look at my own life and I see my failures, my thoughts, my actions, and my words. And yet God says that if I am connected to Christ... And he looks at me. He looks at me with the perfect righteousness of Christ himself. See, that's going to cause me to never go back. Do you understand? To a works righteousness where I think I need to earn God's favor. This, this is, 
the only big enough ocean, brothers and sisters, for you to drown your guilt in, even if you have a mountain of sin. The only ocean that can cover it and still have more is the ocean of Jesus' blood. Don't go to it. Don't think of it like I'm only going to him when I first got saved. Go to him every day. Remind yourself of the fact of this high priest who gave his own blood for you. He says later on in this house, he says, but Christ was a faithful, was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are. Very clearly he's saying those who have who are in Christ, are his house. If we hold fast our confidence and the most of our hope firm until the end. He's not saying that you lose your salvation. He's just saying that you simply demonstrate you are saved. How? You keep believing in Jesus. You keep trusting in Jesus. I like the way one preacher said it. I was listening on the radio. A lot of times you hear a lot of bad stuff on the radio, but I did hear one good thing. It was a good nugget. And he said, he said it this way, he said, we need to, as Christians, to keep pointing you to Christ and keep pointing you to God when you can't see him. You get it? Sometimes the trials are so bad, whether it be lilac, or whether it be family problems, or illnesses, or death. Sometimes you can't even see brothers and sisters. We need to point each other to God when we can't see him anymore. In Christ, by faith. And that's what a Christian does. They keep trusting in Christ. When there almost seems to be no worldly reason. You remember Job? What did Job say? Though he slay me, what? yet I will trust him. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is what a Christian is. So he says there, they keep trusting in God. So consider Jesus because Jesus was commissioned to a superior mission. He's the perfect apostle. Jesus accomplished a superior reconciliation. He's the perfect high priest. He occupied a superior role. He's a perfect and faithful builder. He shepherded with superior faithfulness as a son. Do you know him today? Do you know him today? He came all this way for mankind that they would come to know him. Do you know him today? Turn to him. I can say without a doubt, he loves you so much that you would hear the gospel now. Turn to him. And your sins will forever be washed away. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that we can trust you. And thank you that Christ was our apostle and our high priest and our builder and our and the Son of God who shepherded our who shepherds our souls. We pray, Father, you would help us to see. Thank you for this Lord's Day. Thank you for the sweetness that is in Christ. Help us to sing, help us to praise you, help us to fellowship in Jesus' name. Amen.